Welcome to the Determined Mom Show, the only marketing podcast dedicated to guiding mom CEOs into tranquility, wealth, and multiplying those precious moments. Welcome to this episode of the Determined Mom Show. I have a very special guest, Pamela Moss, and she is going to be talking to us about five tips every mom needs to know about estate planning. So welcome, Pamela. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Amanda. Yeah, definitely. So I know that your business is called Law Mother. Can you tell us a little bit about what that entails? Yeah, so Law Mother is a law firm that helps parents and business owners plan for their future and protect their loved ones, their assets, and really make sure that everything is all their ducks are in a row. That's awesome. I love it. We all need legal counsel from time to time. And I love that you work specifically with moms. I think that's amazing. You know that I have a heart for moms and especially mom business owners. So I love it. Tell us a little bit about you and we already know about Law Mother, but tell us about you and your family and how you got started as an attorney. I have been practicing for 11 years as a lawyer. Before that, my background is in actually engineering. So I worked as an engineer before I went to law school and I am the first lawyer in my family. And when I kind of announced I was going to law school, my uh, family was not super excited. (laughs) And I share that because I think a lot of people have experiences like my family where they had had bad experiences with lawyers or they didn't trust lawyers. And I really take that to heart with everyone I work with because I want to make legal tools accessible. I want to make it comfortable to work with a lawyer. So that's something about how it, you know, influences how I show up. And then, you know, I started my career as a deputy district attorney. So I was in the courtroom every day, kind of think of like law and order style. I mean, there's some differences from television, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed serving my community and being in court every day. And I saw this real need that families, uh, the unexpected would happen and families didn't have access to the legal planning tools we're going to talk about today. As a result, their loved ones would be caught in court in conflict and their kids would end up in child protective services. I really wanted to be part of the solution to proactively help families. Personally, you know, I live in Colorado with my husband. We have a little girl named Sophia. She is brand new baby girl. She's five months old. And then, yeah. And then we have uh, two golden retrievers as well. Our, our first babies. So that's awesome. So she's like your third child, right? (laughs) She is. (laughs) And then we have a human one. No, just kidding. (laughs) I love it. I love uh, little tiny babies like that. And I totally miss my three-year-old. She's starting to become like less cuddly and less, I don't know, whatever every day. And I'm totally missing that baby stage. Enjoy it while you can. So let's talk about the five tips that we need to know. Yeah, absolutely. So the first tip is to name guardians for your children, both short-term and long-term. So I think the big thing mistake that I see is people only name long-term guardians and they don't name short-term guardians. So just to break that down, long-term guardians are who would care for your kids if you could not. Short-term guardians are in an emergency, 
if something were to happen and your long-term guardians live out of state or weren't available, short-term guardians are those people that live close by that could, you know, those friends that you know, those neighbors who could take temporary care of your kiddos so that they wouldn't end up in child protective services or in foster care until your long-term guardians could come. Really the importance of naming both of these is that if you don't have a plan in place and you don't name them and something were to happen to you and your partner, then, and while your children are minors, then essentially a stranger, a judge is going to decide who would raise your kids. Your family members from both sides, anyone related to you could go to court and ask to do that. That judge might not pick the person that you would want. You know, we all know that there's things that aren't always on paper that need to be decided. So really it's about taking that control and making sure that your kids, God forbid, if something were to happen, are fully going to be cared for by the people that you want in the way that you want. I never, I've not thought about that like extensively. And we just moved across the country to be closer to our family. When we were in Washington state, we were there for six years. We had no family. We did have friends that became like family, but eventually they all moved away before we did. What happens if a person is in that situation where maybe they're in the military or they just don't have anyone that they would trust with their children. Is that like, is there another solution or are you just? Yeah. So the idea is you, if, if you don't put something in writing legally, then what would happen in the situation is that the court would get involved and the kids could end up in foster care or in child protective services until your family gets involved. The short-term guardians should be people that are close by friends neighbors. If you don't have anyone that you know, it's a really good opportunity to get to know people and and build those relationships. Um, And then the idea is your long-term guardians are those people, whether they're related to you or not, that you would want to raise your kids if you could not. And some people choose people that they're related to, and some people choose good friends. I think one of the barriers for people putting a plan in place is it's it's really difficult to think about it um, and it's stressful, but I always tell people that you get that peace of mind, right? Once you have it in place, you don't have to worry. You don't have that thing in the back of your head going, what if something happened tonight, what would happen? A lot of times I have clients that come to me and say, you know, I feel bad asking these people to step into this role. And when they report back to me that they've had those conversations, they always come back to me and say, you know what? The person was so honored. They've always had these wonderful conversations with their friends and their family. And those people come back and really, you know, grow into that position. They feel so honored. So they take the time to get to know your kids better. And they ask you about your wishes. And it's almost like they become like a godparent, whether or not you believe in godparents or not, or have that religious preference. They kind of take that role of, of really becoming a mentor to your kid because they know that they have that role. So it's a beautiful thing. It's good to know that you can pick someone other than family and designate them. You know, I think that's a really important thing to note as well. Yeah. And you can also confidentially exclude someone, right? So I can put in the plan your preferences that of people that you would never under any circumstances want to raise your children. So if the people you chose aren't available or don't want to do it, then we can have a a good, you know, I always recommend that we have backup people, but I can also include an exclusion of this is the people we would never want to name. So what about number two? Yeah. So the second tip is don't leave money outright to your children. And what that means is If you leave it to them outright, they can lose it if they go through a divorce or if they're ever sued. So if they get in a car accident, it's their fault, or they get into, they make a bad business decision and have to go bankrupt. If you leave it to them outright, you're really setting it up for the potential of them losing it. So the best way to really leave money to your children is through a living trust. 
And the advantages of a living trust over a will, in addition to kind of giving the asset protection, is that it avoids probate. And probate is the court process that your children will have to go through when you pass away. If you're leaving money to minors, it goes through probate. And if you leave your assets in a will, it goes through probate. The only way to avoid probate is through a living trust. So the reason you want to avoid probate is it's costly. It takes five to 9% of your estate on average. And it, on average, in most parts of the country, it takes between nine months and, and two years. So your loved ones don't have access to the assets right away. Some of the horror stories of, you know, people having to go through probate are, you know, one, sometimes, you know, I was just talking to someone who was describing a situation where the father passed away and the, um, everything had to go through probate. And so the children couldn't afford to pay for the mortgage in the home and everything wasn't set up correctly. So they didn't have money coming in to pay it. So the house had to be foreclosed on and it was lost in through that whole probate process. So not only can assets be lost that way, but also it's just a very time consuming process and you really can't build in any protection like you can with a trust-based plan. I did not know that. I'm, I'm like thinking that a will is like enough, you know, like, and it, it's protecting you in all these ways, but wow, you just blew my mind with the, that trust. I, I've heard of living trusts and I've worked with in the credit union with different people that had them set up, but it's also like, you know, it seemed complicated. How complicated is it to have a trust? Yeah. So, you know, working with a lawyer, it's obviously much more simplified because yeah. like working with any professional and working, like working with you as a professional, you can get it together you know, in a more simplified way. I like to explain, especially to my business owner clients, but my non-business owners, you can think of a living trust, like setting up a business, right? So if you set up a business, if you think of even like the big corporations, like Coca-Cola, they're set up in a way as an entity that can go on for generations and pass on the assets of the business for generations. And some of the reasons you set up a business is for that. Some of the reasons you do is to separate kind of that liability and you can do all of that with a trust. A trust is like setting up an extension of you. It's a vehicle for your assets. And you get those advantages like you do with a business as far as tax minimization, asset protection, and that ability to kind of pass things on smoothly. It's essentially a contract that you're setting up. My goal is to always make the process simple. But I think there's, you know, a lot of misconceptions out there that living trusts are just for the, you know, multi-multi-millionaires. Yeah. And it's not, you know... I, I don't have a certain cutoff of a net worth that you need to have to have a living trust. You know, some people like here in Colorado, if you have under $75,000 in assets, there's an expedited probate. So if I was ha would have to say a number, I would say, you know, traditionally people who have less than $75,000, um, it's more of an expedited probate. Maybe it's not worth it for them. But I have, but I don't set a specific number because Instead, I really like to take through my clients, both situations and explain to them what would happen to their family if they had a will versus having a trust and how the different things are going to play out based on their values. So I have some clients who have dynamics in their families where they have, you know, drug addicted family members and they want to make sure that they have a trust set up so that their kids would never be raised by these drug addicted family members or that those family members aren't going to try to get into those assets. Mm -hmm. So it's really more about your control 
and wanting to make sure everything's aligned with your values. So yeah, setting up a trust, you know, it's helpful to work with a lawyer because we can simplify it and we can also design something that's specific for you. It doesn't have to be complicated. And, and my goal is to really simplify it and make it accessible to two families as a tool that they can use in their tool belt. You're blowing my mind every time that you speak. And I love the fact that you said that working with an attorney, it makes it, you know, much more simple because there are some things that, you know, you could probably draft up a, a chintzy will on your own, have it notarized, blah, blah, blah. But is it really protecting you? And I think that's where you come in and you're giving us all of this amazing knowledge of like, hello, you might be doing it wrong if you're just trying to like fly by the seat of your pants, right? Yeah. And I do think, you know, I often get asked about those kind of do-it-yourself online websites. And a lot of times those websites, if you go and look at their disclaimers, they have in their own words, like this is not legal advice and this is not guaranteed to protect you. And if you have a specific situation or need, you should speak with a lawyer. The hard thing about some of those tools is that there are so many ways that there can be mistakes made and it almost gives a false sense of security. And so I feel like, like every day when I have clients come to me and they're like, oh, we drafted this online and we're afraid that it's not going to work. And I, I go through and explain to them kind of what needs to be there and what's there, their eyes are opened. And it really is something that you've worked your whole life to create this wealth and to create these assets and really, you know, setting yourself up and your family out for success is worth that investment. And it's going to save, you know, on average, I save my clients 50 to a hundred thousand dollars on their avoiding probate. And then I can help them with saving on estate taxes and minimize capital gain taxes. So the money savings is there from working with a specific attorney to get things prepared for sure. That's a huge amount of saving. What about number three? Yeah. So the third one is to prepare for your potential disability. So the reality is that the majority of us are going to become disabled at some point in our life. So making sure you designate who you would want to make your medical decisions and your children's medical decisions if you could not. The big kind of illustration of this was the Terry Schiavo case. I don't know if you remember that back from the 90s, but this poor woman was in a persistent vegetative state. Her husband wanted to take her off life support. Her parents wanted to keep her on life support. And it was litigated for 15 years. It was became a big political issue. It became a big public issue. You know, 15 years later, you know, this poor woman had her life, her feeding tube taken in and out of her. And then at the end of the time, they were able to, when she was finally able to be let go of, they, you know, did an autopsy and saw that there was no way that she was going to kind of survive. And so wherever you fall on where your decisions would be, it's about being your decision, right? Instead of it being that horrible situation that we described of it being court and public. And yeah. so while that's kind of the worst case scenario, really um, every day this happens. And so it's making sure that if your loved ones are in that situation, you're taking the burden off of them in a time when they're very stressed and with grief and emotions that they know what your wishes are. They know who you want to make the decisions and they know, do you want to be on life support for how long? Making sure that you have that plan in place to take care of those decisions. I have a question and it's kind of related to that, but so I know my parents have like an estate plan. I don't know anything about it. Should, you know, should your children be aware of what is going to, like your wishes, like, should you share those with your family or you just like leave your will in your safe deposit box or your safe in your house? Like what is, what is the best practice? I know that's totally off topic, but I'm just curious. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that question. And because you said advice, I just want to throw in a quick disclaimer that I probably should have said at the beginning, which is everything I'm talking about today is legal education. In order for me to give you legal advice, we would have to have, and I know that's not what you're asking for, but I'm just going to say that Um, for those listening, for us to, for me to give you legal advice, you need to hire me and we need to have a specific relationship where I can know your personal situation. So everything we're talking about today is general education. You know, you really want to work with a professional for your specific needs. All of my clients that have adult children, I always encourage them for us to do a family meeting with them and explain to them how their plan would work and explain to them what the important documents are and for them to meet me. So the reason I do that is because the same thing of what you just described, Amanda, before I became a lawyer, my parents just sent me a big folder in the mail envelope of their documents. I didn't look at them. And if something would have happened to them, I would have had, I would have opened it and I would have been totally overwhelmed, especially in that moment. I would encourage you to start having those conversations with your parents, make sure you understand what they have in place now And if they don't have something in place, it really is a huge benefit because for you to have them do it, because you're going to be the one dealing with a mess. And there's so many times when I have clients calling me, potential clients calling me with their parents that are in a state of dementia, it's too late to sign certain documents. And then they're having to go to court and they just wish it would have been taken care of when their parents were healthy. And so It feels awkward to have those conversations. And I always say, you know, have integrity and be an example of what you're asking for. So if you want them to get things in place, you know, get things in place for yourself, you know, and when you meet with that lawyer and learn everything, you can talk to them about your questions about what's going on with your parents and, and then circle back with them and be like, Hey, I want to make sure you're taken care of. I want to make sure everything's correctly in place. As far as kind of minor children, it's really up to your parenting style. I mean, I have had parents that, you know, talk to their kids about, you know, who would you want to um, raise you if something were to happen and they, they make them part of that conversation and, and talk to them about it. So it really is your comfort level. But I do think that a lot of the conflict that happens down the road is because people don't have the conversations in life. And there's a lot of assumptions and there's a lot of things that can be avoided if, if people have those conversations upfront. Yeah. And if uh, 2020 has taught us anything, it's that there is no way to predict anything ever. Right. So have those awkward conversations, please do. And what about number four? So number four is to have an inventory of what you have in one place. So we always, I always prepare for my clients a family wealth inventory, but even if you're not ready today to speak with an attorney, kind of one of the big risks to your family is if something were to happen to you today, people wouldn't know, your family wouldn't know where your assets are, what policies you have, what bank accounts, what insurance you have. And so the big illustration of this problem is Colorado, we have an unclaimed property department that has $55 million in assets. California has $9 billion in their Department of Unclean Property. So assets get lost, essentially. That's what happens. So, you know, just take a moment, create a folder, put, you know, the first page of all your bank accounts, the first page of all your life insurance, your retirement accounts, that one you got from work that you forgot about, put that all in one place, tell your spouse where it is, tell your family where it is in your house, your parents, the people that don't live with you that you trust, so that they know if something were to happen, this is where everything is. And that will 
really made things smooth for everyone. Oh, I love that tip. And I think you're supposed to do that technically for your homeowner's insurance too, if you own a home, not for the bank accounts and all that stuff, but just like a physical inventory. But I love that you have a method that we can use. I love methods and I love actionable items. So that's perfect. What about number five? So number five, we kind of touched on throughout this conversation, but is it's really speak with a professional versus doing it yourself. And really it's about getting something custom for your family and having that peace of mind that's taken care of and the the holes that I've seen and the mistakes that people make when they do it themselves. It's really just a false sense of security. So it is worth it to work with a professional and most professionals will give you a initial consult that's complimentary. So you can really find the right one for your family. You've taught us so much and I don't even know where to begin, but where can people find you if they want to work with you? Yeah. So if you're located in Colorado, I'm licensed in Colorado and that's the only state I can practice in. Um, It's lawmother.com. I have connections with attorneys all around the country. I'm part of a group called personalfamilylawyer.com. So there are lawyers that practice like me in every state, almost every state in in the U.S. that are listed there. So if you are outside of Colorado and you want support, I would go to personalfamilylawyer.com. On my website, I have a free tool that you can name legal guardians and it guides you through it. And you can actually pull it down the documents and get started on that right away. You can link to that from freelegaltool.com. On Instagram, I'm lawmotherco. I have a podcast, the Working Moms podcast that you can link to from my website, lawmother.com. So yeah, happy to uh, support you and your family and your business. We will be putting all of her links in the show notes. So then that way you can get connected with her. And I just want to say thank you so much. You truly have blessed us with a lot of knowledge today. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on Amanda. This episode of the Determined Mom Show is brought to you by the Google My Business Optimization Workbook. In this workbook, you will learn how to optimize your own Google My Business listing to increase your calls, website visits, and your revenue. TDM Marketing has perfected the art of ranking small businesses on Google using only Google My Business listings over the past four years. We've helped hundreds of businesses get into the top three and the local pack. This workbook contains every step of our optimization process. We take a holistic approach and evaluate your ideal clients and service areas. This workbook will walk you step-by-step through our exact optimization formula. This formula has helped hundreds of business owners to increase their revenue, brand awareness, and local and national service areas. Your ability to rank on Google is based on so many SEO factors on your website. With Google My Business optimization and management, you can take a much quicker route to get in front of your ideal, ready-to-buy customers without paying thousands for search engine optimization. You can grab your Google My Business optimization workbook at tdm-marketing.com.